It shows you if you can't buy the players, you don't have a very good team. That's right. That's a problem. Although you have to admit this year, no one's bracket is going to look very good, I don't think. No. Uh, that I Perhaps the seeding committee needs to be blamed for all this. They didn't seed them correctly. Anybody, it seems. So, oh, well, they're fun to watch. Well, we're just about to get started. Um, more people will hopefully be joining us as we go. And um, let's see, what do I have tonight? I don't know if I have anything everyone needs to know about as far as announcements go, other than um, this is the last week of Lent before Holy Week. So go to your Lenten service tomorrow night if you can and plan on Holy Week the following week as Palm Sunday is upon us this coming Sunday. So we look forward to all that with Easter just around the corner and we're praying that by God's grace, we actually go to church this year on Easter. If you'll remember last year, we didn't get to go to church on Easter. That was, that was pretty hard. So we'll pray this year that, that uh, we're able to get to church and we can all celebrate Easter together. So we'll look forward to that. Um, tonight we are going to finish Galatians five. I say that with, with great confidence and yet, also, the realization that the fruit of the Spirit is not a small thing to talk about. So we will spend our time going through the fruit of the Spirit, um, maybe a different way than you're used to hearing it taught, which is probably not surprising at this point. Um, but we <laughs> will spend a little bit of time on the fruit of the Spirit, doing a little bit um, the way I read them and the way um, I think Paul is intending them to be read, obviously. So we'll do that. And then if we get through that, we'll talk about some other stuff um, that really ties this chapter together. We're going to we're gonna not only spend time in the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to remember that we're reading um, Galatians as a whole work. And, and so we're going to keep doing that even as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. So that's kind of what's ahead of us this evening. And um, we will get to that after we pray. So let's pray and then we will get to it. We pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, on this night we come before you and we are grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For your spirit bears fruit because of the power of your word and the power of your promises, because you are a God who rejoices to forgive sins and a God who rejoices to bless his people. So your spirit bears fruit in us, even as we struggle with our daily sin. So we also know that your spirit has been given to us by the waters of holy baptism, by hearing your word, and even the Lord's Supper. You continue to pour out your spirit upon us so that we might be called the children of God. And so we are. And so teach us so to live. And this night, teach us so to read your holy word that we might see our Savior Jesus and trusting in him might find hope for even everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, that was a good prayer because a lot of people joined. Um, any questions before we get going? Any questions on last week or any other week that you've been wanting to get to that we didn't get to? Mm -hmm. 
winters and you get let in. Let me see if I can let them in. Okay, so if seeing none, let's just read and then I'm sure there'll be lots of things to discuss as we go forward. So let's go ahead and read Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 26. That's the rest of the chapter. So it's the fruit of the spirit. So Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Someone can read that for us. All right, I can read it. Oh, I, you got it. Someone got it. Go for it. I'll, I'll take it. Okay, uh, go ahead. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Okay, thank you very much. Very good. Okay, so obviously we read that last week also, but um, very familiar passage known as the fruit of the Spirit, because that's what it says, the fruit of the Spirit is. And so um, very, very popular passage. Um and, and one that, that I certainly encourage you to memorize. Um, this is one of the passages that's just good to have in your head as you kind of walk around and think through your life as a Christian. This is certainly um, a list of things to kind of just keep in front of your mind. Um, and we're going to talk about tonight how that works. But, but just really, I do encourage you to memorize this portion of scripture. Um, and I just wanted, I just wanted to say a quick advertisement. Not, not for any other reason than to encourage you, but the, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is a church body that I belong to and a lot of, a lot of us on this study belong to, not everybody, but some do. Um, we actually have a Bible memory program that's going on now for this whole year and, and actually going back to last year. And it's really simple. It's a verse a week. Um, you can find it on Facebook and you can also find it on lcms.org, our, our uh, homepage. And it's just, we're just going to memorize a verse together as a church body. So um, this is one of the verses that, that we either have done or are about to do. And, um, yeah, I just encourage you to take advantage of that. It's just a good way to get a Bible passage in your mind to, to meditate on all week. Um, there's no prizes. If you get it memorized, there's no, there's no, uh, problems if you don't. So it's just something I know a good friend of mine, he would write a Bible passage on a piece of paper and just stick it in his pocket. And whenever he reached in his pocket for his keys or his wallet or his phone or whatever, he'd just pull out that little piece of paper and read it until he had it memorized. Um, so certainly uh, something I encourage you to do. And uh, there's nothing, nothing better than having the word of God in your head as you walk around all day. So something that's really easy to do is, is pick up a Bible verse and memorize it. Like I said, our Senate is doing this Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate on Facebook. You can find that. Or you can also simply go to any, you know, Bible gateway, whatever, and look up the top 100 Bible verses and just work your way through it or something like that. It's also a good thing. But, but I do encourage you to do that. The, the, the Bible actually encourages us to do this, to meditate on the word of God day and night. And so one of the easy ways to do that is just find a short little verse and just, just re rehearse it to yourself. Maybe share it with your friends, what you're working on this week to memorize. Um, maybe ask your pastor what, what it means. You know, those kind of, it's just, it's just fun. So 
I certainly encourage you to do that. And if, if you're looking for a verse to start with, uh, Galatians is, is full of them. So Galatians 2.20, I have it on high authority, is the best verse in the Bible. That was, I was told that by a seminary professor. So it's got to be true, right? And then also uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit is another great one. So I, I do really encourage you to do that. So yeah, try it. Okay. Um, so number one, so how are the fruit of the spirit freedom? Okay. This is kind of going back to the, the whole point of the chapter. Remember that, that the, the Galatians chapter five starts this way for freedom, Christ has set us free. So how are the fruits of the spirit uh, how are the fruit of the spirit actually freedom? How is the fruit of the spirit freedom? It says there's no law against them. Yeah, exactly. So, so the contrast is that there's, there's no law. You're not under the law. Okay. So the things, the things that enslave us are the things that put us under the law. Remember in chapter three, we said, if you don't observe everything required by the law, you're actually cursed. And so Paul's been working with this metaphor in chapter four, he talks about the, the two women that we can be born of and that we're not born of a slave woman, but we're instead, we are now, we're set free. So we are free from the things under the law. Now, the things that the law enslave us are the things that condemn us because of our sin, right? Because of sin, which again is a is a short word that, that has a huge concept behind it, which is really the, the idea of living um, contrary to the will of God, living to serve yourself instead of others, all kinds of things in this. And we went over that last week, this list of the things starting, you know, in verse 16 and following right? Where it says, um, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then it goes on and it talks about how they're, they're opposed to the spirit. And then verse 18, it says, um, but if you are led to the spirit, you are not under the law. There's that contrast. You are not under the law. And then he says, now here's the works, here are the works of the flesh. And then he, then he lists all of them. We talked about that last week. And then he says, now in contrast to that are the fruit of the spirit. So what, what he's getting at is that we are set free from being enslaved to sin. We are set free to live in the fruit of the spirit. And what you'll notice is that the things that we're enslaved to in sin, they're not good. They're all bad and they all lead to awful things, right? So um, this list of things that like we talked about last week, no one would raise your kids and say, these are your ideals. This is just a list of bad things. And, and what Paul is saying is we've actually been set free from sin to live in the fruit of the spirit. Okay. And the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, it keeps going. They're all good things. They're all beneficial things. They're all the things, if you will, that God created us to enjoy in this creation. He created us to be at peace. Okay. He created us to have joy. He created us to live in gentleness. Right. He, he created us with patience. Not to get angry, not to be mad, not to be, you know, always in turmoil, not to be 
of sorrowful or angry, but instead to be joyful and peaceful. You know, and, and so we've been set free from sin um, to live in the freedom of the fruit of the spirit. And, and just this amazing, we'll get to the statement later, but this idea that against these fruit of the spirit, there isn't a law. So you're never looking over your shoulder, right? If you live in perfect love and perfect peace and perfect joy, you're never looking over your shoulder to see if you're going to get caught. I mean, right? You ever gotten in trouble for being too much at peace or being too loving? You're like, oh, you're in trouble now. You, you love that person. You're like, what? That doesn't happen. See, there's no law against these things. They're, they're, they're good things. They're beneficial things. You're not looking over your shoulder to see if you're getting in trouble and you're not going to be oppressed for doing it. You're not going to be condemned for doing it. Okay. Does that make sense? We'll get to the fruit themselves in a second. I just want to kind of conceptually, are we, are we okay with that? Any questions or thoughts on that? Christ died for our sins mm -hmm. because we believe we're set free. But if we didn't believe, even though he still died for our sins. The, the freedom isn't affected for you. Yeah. So if you, if, if when Christ died on the cross, he defeated sin, death, and devil once for all. That's, that's a done deal, right? Yes. But, but for that to be effective your life that that is where faith justifies this the sinner okay so justification you made right before god means um that, that's by grace through faith okay so that's where the faith <laughs> then receives or luther's words takes hold of the work of christ on the cross okay so christ indeed died for everyone right he, he, he indeed died for the sins of the whole world um, and then faith is a gift of God for that to be given to you as a, as a person, as an individual, and also as a church. That helps a lot. Okay. Very good. Very good question. As a matter of fact, I was going to show you this. So I'm glad you asked that because that, that allows me to do as one. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So oh, I just want to, um, if you guys will just permit me to do this, I just I just want to show you this because it's it's fun and it actually does. Um, I think this is part of what Paul's doing in Galatians five. So I just want to show you this. Is that okay, you guys? You guys want to put up with me for a second? You don't have a choice. I'm kind of the one talking, so whatever. Yeah. So let's go to Isaiah. So find the book of Isaiah. We're gonna do we're gonna do Isaiah in I would say five minutes, but it's gonna take much more than that. So the book of Isaiah. And we're not going to do the whole thing. Don't worry. It's a really long book. I'm just going to show you kind of how the major themes work with what we just talked about with Christ's death and resurrection and how that works and all this. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 57. So Isaiah, remember, it's a big old book in the Old Testament. Um, not as big as Psalms. So if you book, open your Bible kind of to the middle, you'll find Psalms. Just keep going past that to Isaiah. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah. If you get to Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, you've gone too far, right? If you get to the book, books you can't pronounce, You've definitely gone too far. Those are the minor prophets. Nobody can pronounce those. It's okay. So Isaiah chapter 57. And we're going to look starting at verse 14. Um, and there's a reason for this. Most people start at 15, but I, I really want to start at verse 14. Um, and a lot of scholars believe this is kind of where Paul gets this fruit of the spirit or some of the language, some of the imagery. Um, there's other places, but this is one of the places. 
So Isaiah 57, verse 14. I'm going to read it out loud because I'm going to pause. Okay. But um, did you find Isaiah? I know. It's not my fault. I didn't write the Old Testament. It's just hidden in there somewhere. All right. If you're if you're from England or if you want to sound smart, you call it Isaiah, which is, you know, that's how the smart people say it. I say Isaiah because I'm not smart. So Isaiah 57, verse 14 and following says this. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Now, I want you to remember that phrase, the one who is high and lifted up. Just put that in your coconut, okay? The one who is high and lifted up. Remember that phrase. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. Okay, that should remind you of Psalm 51. Okay, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding on the way of his own heart. Okay, that's describing God sending his people into exile, both Assyria for the northern kingdom and Babylon for the southern kingdom. So he's saying they sinned, so I sent them in exile, right? And even when they did that, they kept backsliding. They still didn't turn to me, right? But but what's he going to do here? I have seen his ways, but listen to this, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. Creating the fruit, here's the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Okay, now a lot of people see that that fruit of the lips and the work of the spirit and peace kind of being the way that Paul is, is kind of putting this together for us in the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five. Now, the reason they do that, though, is I want to show you this. I want to show you this. We're going to stay in Isaiah. But go to Isaiah chapter 5. Okay, Isaiah chapter 5. So stay in the book of Isaiah and go to chapter 5. Now there's a lot in Isaiah to talk about. We won't. We don't have time to do that. But I just want to show you this. In Isaiah chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Okay, just listen. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Let me sing for my beloved. My love song concerning his vineyard. Okay, and this is going to describe the nation of Israel now. Okay, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Okay. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds and they will rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, 
bloodshed, and for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Okay, so what we have in Isaiah now is the people of Israel are pictured as a vineyard, and God goes and looks for the fruit. Hear that? He goes to look for the fruit of the vineyard, but doesn't find good fruit. Instead, he finds wild fruit, bad fruit, okay? And so what does he do? He sends it into exile, okay? That's the book of Isaiah. Now, go to the next chapter, chapter 6. Just hang in there. It's okay. We'll get through this together. Isaiah chapter 6. This is a story you all know. I want you to listen to the language, though, because I told you to memorize a phrase. I want you to listen to that phrase, high and lifted up. Remember that was the phrase? In Isaiah 57, says, I am the one who's high and lifted up. Listen to Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay, that sounds like Isaiah 57, doesn't it? High and lifted up. The one who sits on his high and holy hill, all that kind of stuff. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, what did I say? Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal he had taken from the altar and the tongs. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this is touch your lips. Your guilt is in taken away, your sin atoned for. So what do we have here? We have Isaiah saying that the Lord's people is like a vineyard that's gone bad, right? No good fruit. Isaiah sees the Lord in flesh. Okay, who's God in the flesh? What's his name? His name is Jesus, right? When God has flesh on, his name is Jesus, right? So he sees God in the flesh. His name is Jesus. And he's described as high and lifted up, right? This is the high and lifted up Lord. And what does Isaiah say? Isaiah says, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble because I'm part of Israel. I'm part of Judah, who is a vineyard that you are destroying. Woe to me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm in the midst of unclean lipped people, right? Not good. Okay, so the Lord forgives his sins. Now, keep going with me. We're going to skip a lot of Isaiah now, but we're going to go. Here's kind of the clincher. Go to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52. I want, I just want you to see this. Isaiah 52. So Isaiah 52 is actually the beginning of Isaiah 53. And when we get there, you'll understand what I mean. So there are four servant songs, four main servant songs in the book of Isaiah, uh, beginning in chapter 49. And this is the fourth of them. And these servant songs are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, ultimately. So listen to Isaiah 52, verse 13. Isaiah 52, 13 and following. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Now listen. He shall be high and lifted up. Okay, same thing we heard in 57, same thing we heard in 6, right? So this is God in the flesh, this is Jesus. 
and it says, as, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. And it goes on. So look at, um, we'll skip ahead. Look at verse four of chapter 53 then. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. Hear that? From 57, right? The one who is high and lifted up said, Even though my people sin, I will give them peace. And this is what Paul is getting at. Is that the, the, the reality of our sinful flesh is that we have done all these things that earn us. Let's go back to my, to Galatians chapter five. Let's look at what Paul says. So I'm not making anything up. Let's go to Galatians chapter five. And what does he say here? He lists all these awful things. And then at the end of verse 21, he said, I warned you as I did before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now we're with Isaiah saying, uh-oh, uh-oh, if that's true, woe is me. I'm guilty. I've done some of these things, right? I'm guilty. And if this is true, I'm out of the kingdom of God. But listen to what Paul says. But the fruit of the Spirit. See, see there's a change. There, there's a change. And this is the change. That God loves you. So that, yes, you are guilty of sin. But guess what? God's not okay with you being in the condition of being guilty for sin. He's going to save you. Just like in the Old Testament when he, when he went to the vineyard and the fruit was rotten. He, yeah, he sent them into exile, but he did it so they would repent. And even when they didn't fully repent, you know what he did? He saved them. He saved them. And the way he saved them was he sent his own son to rescue them. He sent his own son to take upon himself all their sins and to say, I'm setting you free. I'm setting you free from your slavery. I'm setting you free from your exile. I'm setting you free from being condemned. And now you have peace. And Paul says, that's exactly what's happened to you. That's exactly what has happened to you when you are joined to Christ's death and resurrection. All of your sins have been forgiven. And all those things that are despicable to even list, guess what? You're not guilty of them. You're not guilty of them. Instead, you live in the fruit of the Spirit. This describes you. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Right? keep going. That describes you. Why? Because God's spirit dwells in you. Because you are a child of God and the Holy Spirit marks you and the Holy Spirit guides you and the Holy Spirit leads you in the way that God created you to be. And this is all going to end one day when Christ will return and you will live in the fullness of the fruit of the spirit. And that other list of sins, you won't have any part of it anymore. You will simply live in the fruit of the spirit. Okay. So that's what 
That's what this idea of freedom is, is we are freed from all the things that condemn us. And we are freed to live in this blessed state of being in the Holy Spirit, that we have the Holy Spirit, we have peace. Okay. So that's just kind of some background. Um, as you look at the way that Paul is kind of reading the Old Testament through the death and resurrection of Christ, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that's that's kind of this some biblical background to that. So any any questions? There's more we can do, but um, any any questions on that? When you were describing Israel people that they didn't fully repent, mm -hmm. is that mean they, or is that in reference to the sins that they know and don't know, or is no, they, when they were in exile, they didn't fully repent of their idolatry, which is a sin that sent them into exile. Um, and this is kind of the, one of the strange things of the Old Testament is that God sends them into exile into Babylon and lets the Assyrians destroy them because they're idolaters. And he kind of says, you got to stay there until you get this figured out, until you start worshiping me. Well, they never really do. They never fully get it. Some do. Some parts do. But here's what, here's what happens is God kind of says, if I wait for you to come around, that's never going to happen. So I'm just going to rescue you out of pure grace, right? I'm just going to rescue you because I love you. Even though you haven't fully repented of this, even though you haven't fully got me yet, I'm going to rescue you. So Isaiah, I'm, I'm sorry, didn't mean Isaiah. Jeremiah 31 says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Even though you broke the old one, even though I was faithful and you broke it, I'm still going to make a new covenant with you. And this one's going to be grace based on simply the forgiveness of your sins. So the nation of Israel, um, they were actually brought to repentance by the Lord's rescue. Instead of God waiting for them to repent, he rescued you them and that led to repentance. So what happens is they're brought back from Babylon to Jerusalem simply out of grace. And then from there on, actually, they do repent of their idolatry. Once he rescues them, then they actually do stop worshiping false gods and they actually fight to worship Yahweh, which is really the story of the intertestamental period is them kind of saying, we're not going to put up with idols in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's kind of the way that story goes. It's kind of a, a yeah, it's an interesting story to read, but that's kind of the way it goes. Okay. I thought Kevin. it was. Go ahead. Pam. I thought it was interesting in Isaiah 50, 57, 14, where he says he's creating the fruit of the lips. And that in Isaiah um, 6, then he, yeah. he touched the lips with the burning coal, which took a guilt away, which would allow good fruits to come from the lips. I just thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, isn't that neat? I, I, Isaiah is one of those books that when you read it all together, you kind of catch all these connections. You're like, wow, this is really amazingly written where you have all these connections and they really do. They actually answer each other, right? Here's the problem. And, and then we have that alluded to again with the solution. And that's exactly right. Um, the same thing is also true. If you read, I'm not saying you should, but uh, Pam, I think you might've been there today. Chaplain Denzer is going through Proverbs seven and eight. And you have, again, this, this fruit of the lips issue, right? Remember? her lips and her tongue and, and all that kind of, you have the deceit of the, of the adulteress right. kind of luring you into sin. And then you have the fruit of the lips of the, of wisdom speaking words of righteousness, right? That contrast. And again, it's, it's, it's so much a theology of the word that, 
that God's righteousness is, is a spoken, it's a promise, right? It's pronounced. Um, and that goes back to Genesis 1 where he speaks the word in creation. It goes to John 1 where Jesus is the word in the flesh. Yeah, all that. That's very good. Very good. Yeah, very nice. Kevin, Kevin does he, uh, the, the, the verse before this, uh, verse 19 through 20, mm-hmm. um, and, that, and then I, I look at that, the, there is no law. Is there a balance that he's trying, when he's preaching to the Gentiles and trying to convert them, that there's this balance of, to what we previously talked about, of circumcision and, and then following the law, to be able to define that, but in his own way, so that the Gentiles don't get totally freaked out, that they have to convert over to Judaism, that this is this is a way to be able to embrace the Lord. It's, yeah. So he's, he's, he's really saying that the law is not what you have to grab onto to be part of the church. I mean, you you don't, you, you don't, you don't go to the law to be part of the, the fellowship of believers. You don't go to the law to belong to God. Instead, Christ is given to you. And, and now what he's going to say to the Gentiles is that that doesn't bring you then into the law. No, Christ brings you into the spirit. Okay. So then it's not, it's not a bait and switch where we're like, oh, you don't need the law. You get Jesus, then we'll give you the law anyway. No, he's saying, no, you, you remain not under the law. Instead, you remain free in the spirit. Now in the next passage, we'll read about the law of Christ. Okay. So, so then there is a way that we live in the freedom of, of Christ, in the freedom of Christ is we, we do live according to the will of God, but that's not the same thing as being under the law, right? We're not going to, we're not going to be under law. Instead, we're going to be living in this freedom of loving and serving each other. Does that, does that help at all? Does that? Not sure where Rob went. Oh, there he is. Does that help Rob? I was muted. Sorry. I was saying yes. <laughs> okay, good. Great. Any other questions or thoughts? Yeah. Hey, Kevin, I wondered the, the topic of peace, if, if how that ties or doesn't tie to Ephesians 2, you know, where he himself is our peace and came and preached peace, etc. Is there, is it just the same word or is there a tie there? It's, a, it's the same word. Um, I also think of John 14, where Jesus says, you know, I came to give you peace, not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. Um, also, John 16, in this world, you have trouble, but, but take heart, I overcome the world. You know, tell these things that, that you, you have peace. And so um, this is a, a very pervasive, you also think of, of a lot of Paul's opening greetings, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and all of this, um, it seems to be really just a restatement of the Old Testament idea of shalom, right? That, that one of the Lord's benefits to his people is that they live in peace. And peace is always contrasted with either chaos or living in fear of your enemy or fear of something else is that instead the Lord gives us peace. Um, I think it's also in, I could be wrong in this. I'm, I'm seeing it, but I'll be blunt. I don't know what Psalm it is in English and in Hebrew, it's Psalm 128, where one of the, the blessings of um, it, because the Lord is with his people, he gives to Jerusalem peace. 
Okay, that's one of the benefits of God being with his people is that we get peace. So um, it in, in like I said, in Old Testament parlance, this kind of means like completion and wholeness and you're not lacking anything. You're not scared of anything. You're not living in fear. You're living in peace. Uh, we, we have different definitions of the word, but yeah, it's all the same, the same notion in that way. So, yep. So when you say love, joy, peace, that's the same peace and a very, very strong Pauline word. Okay. Thanks. All right. Let's get on to number two. I feel like we should actually talk about the fruit at some point. So number two, what fruit leads the list? Obviously that's an easy question, but love, right? So, so I'm going to go with Luther on this one. Um, Luther's great Galatians commentary. He actually says that the fruit of the spirit are best read as explanations of the word love. So, so Luther suggests that the fruit of the spirit is love and that the rest of the list is simply a description of what love is. What is love is joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? And so um, this is this is kind of, and Luther's not alone in this. He's just kind of, you know, Luther, what are you gonna do with that? So, um, but I think that's a, that's kind of a fun way to read it. And it's and it's very much in line with, with what our Lord said himself is that this is the law kind of condensed into two statements which is love God and love your neighbor and good. So then, so then you think, well, has Paul ever talked about love and gone on for, I don't know, a whole chapter about it? And so, yeah, then you even get to, to 1 Corinthians 13, which is actually the love chapter, okay? And 13, 13 says, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, okay? So very much um, Paul, very Pauline, um, so Paul and John are your two writers who, who talk about love the most. Okay. Um, Paul and John are your two love kind of love writers in the new Testament. And Paul uses love all the time, the same word for love, the same verb for love over and over and over. So one thing we want to look at then is um, if this is the description of love, then the question is who tells us what love is. And I know we went over this last time, but just to kind of reiterate is that when we're talking about love in the Bible, we're talking about love that is, first of all, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners. That is love. That is God's love. That is the definition of love for all people. Whether you believe it or not, that is what love is. Love is God sacrificing his son to forgive the sins of the world. That's what love is. And then we are told to love as those who receive that love, we're then told to love with that love. We love other people, right? And are also in our, in our relationship to God, then because he has so loved us, we also love him, okay? So in a lot of ways, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the spirit in us, teaches us to love. It teaches us to love God because of what Christ has done for us. And it teaches us to love one another with the love that we have received from God. And this is really living in the spirit. And as we talked about last week, this is the opposite of living for myself. I'm set free from serving self and I'm set free to receive love from God in Christ, to love God 
and to love each other. Okay, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're going to work on one fruit of the Spirit, love, right? And if you want to know how to do that, well, you got a whole list of things you can try. Does that make sense? So as we, or any questions at this point? I mean, we could go through all these words and talk about the history of them and the Greek literature and stuff, but I'm not totally sure how helpful that is. Um, one thing I just want to say is that a lot of people will, will make this as a list of things to work on, and that's okay. Um, I don't mind, you know, spiritual discipline and, and learning to improve on areas that were deficient as Christians, but, but don't read this as a list, as a project list for you to work on really read this as God's gift to you through his Holy Spirit, that you get love, you get joy, you get peace. It's a gift. It's given to you by God freely. And this is how we live in Christ Jesus. Now, if you notice yourself not being very patient, maybe that's something you should work on. Absolutely. But, but less than a list of things that we have to try to live up to, because that's not what this is. See this as a list of gifts that God gives to you. This is the, the fruit the Holy Spirit is, is bearing in you. He is giving this to you. Okay? And I want to show you how this works, because Paul says this again. Let's just look at um, the second one. Let's look at joy. So we talked about peace a little bit there. You brought that up, peace. That's a good one. But let's look at joy. So go to Philippians. We're in Galatians. So you go to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So two books away, two books towards the end of the New Testament. So keep going. Philippians chapter four. You guys all know this passage, but I just want to kind of show you how this all works together here. Paul likes to say the same things over and over and over, by the way. And so he does. So Philippians chapter four beginning at verse four and we'll read through verse well you know let's read through verse eight just because we usually stop at seven let's read through eight that's more fun so philippians four verses four through eight it says this rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice okay so very much obviously the fruit of the spirit there is joy let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone the lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything there's, there's a little peace talk there. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request, request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, okay? So again, in Philippians 4, you have him encouraging the church to see themselves in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, living lives of joy and peace and concentrating and focusing on the good things that God has given us instead of the sinful things that our sinful flesh tries to tempt us to do. 
okay? So our minds are turned. Remember, repenting is the turning of the mind, the changing of the mind. So part of our repentance is we actually seek to live not according to our sinful flesh, but according to the work of the Holy Spirit within us, which does guide us then toward love and joy and peace and patience. Okay? Any, any questions? We've kind of done number three, um, but, but let's make sure we got it right. So why does Paul say there's no law governing these things? We went over this a little bit because he's just set up the whole law and sin thing. And now what he's getting at is, is this is freedom. This is freedom to live in the fullness of who God has created you to be. Okay. There's no law against these things. These are all good. As a matter of fact, here's the thing. You're allowed to do this as much as you want. You're allowed to love as much as you want to love. There's no limits on this. You're allowed to have joy, just ridiculous amounts of joy. There's no limits on the joy you're allowed to have. You're allowed to live in utter peace. You're allowed to be kind, just in infinite degrees of kindness. There's no laws. There's no limitations. No one's going to walk up to you and say, stop being kind. God doesn't want you to be kind anymore. That's never going to happen. Okay. So this is what he's saying at with there's, there's no law is, is that these are eternally good things. And not only is there no law against them, but this is actually describing our life in the, after the second coming in the new creation. So we will actually live perfect lives of love, joy, peace, pain, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control when we are in heaven. We will live it perfectly, okay? So there's no law against this. You're never going to reach the end of these things. You're never going to um, be limited and you're never going to be told to stop and you're never going to be condemned for this. You get to live in these things with absolute bliss, okay? Yeah, the self-control at the end is very interesting. Um, this is something that, that I think... Um, hmm. okay. Self-control at the end is typically, um, seen as going back to the very beginning of the list in verse 19. So self-control is usually seen as the opposite of sexual immorality. Okay. Or lust. So usually self-control, um, is, is talking about this in a sexual way, in sexual temptations. So that um, if you notice the list of sins, please don't concentrate on too much, but if you notice the list of sins, it's talking about sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Those are all kind of lustful activities. And self-control is usually seen as the opposite of this. As a matter of fact, St. Jerome, back in you know the 4th century AD, he wrote that this was actually the description of how virgins live. So that you live self-controlled lives, meaning... Um, you're not trying to please your flesh by using these things, but instead you're living self-controlled lives and you're living out love in the context of marriage. And then also that is the picture of Christ and his bride, the church. So that self-control is usually seen as kind of that, um, that gift, which is, which is not living to please the, the gratify the desires of the sinful nature in that way but instead to live in love as God's created us. Now, having said that, the other thing is that this is, um, when Aristotle wrote his ethics, self-control was kind of seen as the major over our, 
overarching idea of his ethics, which was kind of interesting. Um, this was kind of Socrates' main contingency or, or contention in ethics was that really the goal is, is, is to live in self-control, to not be governed by your passions, okay? Not be governed by the, the feelings that come and go, but instead to live controlled lives, very, very controlled. You don't fly off the handle. Um, you also aren't just totally stoic where you don't do anything, but you live self-controlled and decent lives. So this was actually a Greek ideal. Um, and some people contend that what Paul is getting at for the Gentiles here is that this ultimate ethic, this ultimate way to live that Socrates and Plato and Aristotle talk about, well, guess how you actually get it? Not through philosophy, not through Aristotle, not through Socrates. How do you get it? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Even these ideals that you've been chasing after from an ethical point of view, it's from spirit. It's actually the Holy Spirit that gives you this. And, and it's, it's kind of a, that's also a kind of an interesting way to read that. I'm not saying you have to, but, but some people have made that observation um, going back to Aristotle. And one of the reasons is because this phrase against such things, there is no law is actually said explicitly in Aristotle also, which is very odd that he says this. Um, he means in a very different context, but this exact Greek phrase is actually in Aristotle um, in his ethics. Now it's not tied to self-control there. That's a different section but it is used. So that's why some people see a tie to, to Aristotle there. Take it or leave it. That's what I would say. Um, yeah, I don't know if that helps or not, but that, that's kind of some way people talk about that. But the self-control does seem to be kind of offset in the beginning of the, of the sinful list. Okay. All right. Now let's, let's go. So number four, how then shall we live? What does he, what does he say? Let's look at verse 24. What does he say? By the spirit. Yeah. You live by the spirit because you've been joined to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Okay. So we live by the spirit because we have been crucified with Christ. And this goes back to, to Galatians chapter two, verse 20. It says, remember how it goes. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's the, that's the flesh, all that list of sins. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and loved me. Did you hear that? For the spirit love, loved me and gave himself for me. So this is what Paul is saying is, is this fruit of the spirit? Look at verse 24. It's joined to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is where the spirit that you get, that's how you get him, right? You get him because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so in baptism, they talked about in chapter three, when you're, when you're baptized, you get, you're joined to the death and resurrection of Christ and you get the Holy Spirit. And now this is who we are. We are those whose sins and sinful nature have been crucified with Christ. And now we live in the spirit. We are free. Okay. And you, and remember John chapter eight, where Jesus says, if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Right? So when Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins, you are set free. Now, here's the thing. I want to be very explicit about this. 
Well, see, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiling the next question every time tonight. I'm just, I'm just not doing well and waiting, but, but so number five, how is life in the spirit tied to justification by grace through faith? This is what I want to get at. I want to make sure we talk about this. So in verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. We'll get there in a second, not be conceited, provoking each other. But here's the thing. I said it before. And I want to say it again. This is not the list that you have to live up to in order to be a Christian. That's not what this is. Let me say that again. This is not the list of qualities you must have in order to be a Christian. If it were, I would not be allowed in. I would be out, right? Because I don't live up to these things. Instead, this is the list, list of the things the Holy Spirit is giving to you and is working in your life. Now, because we're freed from sin... What are we going to do? We're not going to sin anymore. So instead, we can work with the Holy Spirit on how to live out our lives in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? We can actually work on that, right? But it's not a list of things to live up to in order to be loved by God. Instead, this is the list of the things you get as a gift from the Holy Spirit because you are God's child, okay? So it's tied to our justification in this, in that Christ is the one who is perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace. Keep on going. That's Jesus Christ. And when he lived the perfect life, when he died on the cross, when he rose again, when he gives that to you as a free gift, then he also gives you of his Holy Spirit. Those who are joining me on Sunday mornings, we're going through this in minute detail, aren't we? In John 14, 15, and 16, where he keeps saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he's going to do all this stuff for you. So, so this is now what Paul is saying is because you're in Christ Jesus, you get this. You get the Holy Spirit, you get all these gifts, and you get to live in them. Now, this is the fun thing. I just want to I just want to show you this because this is this is crazy fun. So, do you guys remember in Galatians chapter four? Just go back to Galatians four. Um, Galatians four, verse three. In the same way. Also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Remember what we talked about? I taught you a Greek word, remember? It was stoicheia, right? And we talked about that. Air and fire and water and earth. We talk, remember we talked about that? Well, here's the fun thing. In, in Galatians chapter 5... Verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, stoicheomen. Okay? You guys don't know Greek. That doesn't help you much. But the, the verb that's translated, let us walk, is actually the same root as the elementary principles of the word. word. It's stoichet, and then omen. All right, that's Greek. But that, that's just a let us walk. So the point is, this isn't the normal Greek word for walking. That's peripateo. This is actually the word that means you're going to walk in step with the elementary ways of the way it's supposed to go. This is actually a military term for walking, for marching. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say something about the Air Force and the Marines, but I won't. So this is the military term for marching. And the, the whole the whole thing that Paul is getting at is now we're not going to be enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, right? 
but instead we're going to walk in step with the spirit. And this is the fundamental. This is the elementary principles for you is to walk with the spirit. This is, if you were to be a colloquial, this is the good stuff. Okay. You, because of the, the work of Jesus Christ, you, not just are your sins forgiven. That's awesome. But you also get the fruit of the spirit. So now listen, when, when God looks at his vineyard, his people, Israel, his church, he's not going to see a bunch of bad fruit. He's not because Christ has crucified all of your sins and taken them away. Instead, now when he looks at you, he's going to see good fruit. Anybody, anybody know any story in the Bible where Jesus actually shows up at the end of time and says to some people, hey, good job. You did all this good stuff. And they go, when did we do that? Remember in Matthew 25, he separates the sheep from the goats. And he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, gave me a drink. I was, and they go, when did we, when did we do this? Right? And he said, oh. Well, when, you know, when he goes on, when at least these brothers of mine, you did it to me. And what's the point of that story? The Holy Spirit was doing that stuff. The Holy Spirit was, was taking their sins and forgiving them in Christ and then replacing them with good works, the good works that are done in Jesus Christ. Okay. So that's what you have in the fruit of the spirit. It's yours as a gift. All right. We have a couple of minutes left. Um, instead of starting chapter six, does we have any, any questions or thoughts? I'm sorry. That was a lot. We have any questions or thoughts on all of that? I think um, verse 26 is very important because yes. he understands our human nature. Uh -huh. So, so the spirit gives us these things and then we're not supposed to walk around saying, look at me. Look at me. Yeah. yeah. I got peace. <laughs> I, what's wrong with you? I got self-control. And that's exactly what happens. So what happens is if you take it that way, you take it as conceitedness. Now you're back to the list of things that are not peace with one another, but instead you're in contention with one another. That's exactly right. And that's what he's going to get at. That's right. There's a Steve Taylor song that says, I'm, I'm better than you. I'm more humble than you. I'm the, I'm the example of humility, right? Um, it's actually really good. And he's going to get to this. This is the point of chapter six. He's going to, he's going to explain this in chapter six and say, here's the thing, people. You're going to be in the church and there's somebody that isn't going to be as spiritual as you are. So what are you going to do? Walk up and be like, oh, what's wrong with you? I got the fruit of the spirit. You got rotten grapes. No, that's not the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit is not to, not to puff ourselves up and to demean someone else. No, don't do That's not the fruit of the spirit, right? Fruit of the spirit is, is love, gentleness. So what does he say in chapter six? If anyone is a caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, who are living by the fruit of the spirit should do what? Restore him. See, restore him. Not as an advantage that I have over him. No, instead, serve with the very love of Christ. Ephesians 4.32 says this. It says, be ye kind one unto another, tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ has forgiven you right and that's you're exactly right that's that's what he's getting at he's like he know i know you guys i know what you're gonna do with this don't do that don't give into that temptation either okay that's exactly right at one point you thought you made a mistake but 
not wrong. Okay. Um, any other questions or thoughts before we go? I can certainly stick around and answer any questions if you want to talk about stuff. Um, yeah. Fruit of the Spirit, good stuff. All right. Your phone's almost out of Yeah, it happens. Good to see you, Angela. All right, let's pray and then we'll go. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you have taken away all of our sins by nailing to the cross with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we also rejoice that you have given us of your Holy Spirit that we might receive from your gracious hands the fruits that you intend for your children. Teach us to live in love, loving as you have loved us. And now we ask you to grant us your perfect peace so we might sleep this night and rest in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank, Thank you, Kevin. Kevin. Thank you. Welcome. Let me know if you have any questions. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, what I was going to ask was, it, it seems like as we, we list the fruits of the Spirit, one of the things we have to be careful of is as time passes on earth, some of those definitions change. Right. So somehow we have to be grounded in their true meaningness as a fruit of the spirit because right. what joy or goodness or kindness may mean in 2021 may be different in some senses than it was in 1921 yeah and, and especially the word love right now right everyone's everyone's redefining love to be whatever they think love should look like um and that's and that's kind of that's exactly right so that that and that's why um, you know, commentators were really write about what do these words mean at the time that Paul wrote this. And really what you have in your English translation is trying to translate these words into the word that means that right now. What is, what's the best word to express what this word means? Um, the word that we have from patience there, it doesn't mean patience. It really means long suffering. That's really what the root of the Greek word means. And that's what the King James translated of, um, is long suffering. So it's, it's, you're exactly right. And that's, and that's why one of the things that we're trying to do Tuesday nights is to really read this in the context of what the scriptures teach us and how to think about these things scripturally, instead of saying, and, and that's part of the danger of saying, I'm going to work on kindness. And then I go out and I look around, I look up Webster's, what does kindness mean? I look at Facebook and say, oh, people tell me you're kind this way. Well, that's not going to get you to the kindness. That's the fruit of the spirit. You kind of got to read scripture and find out what kindness is. I'll let you get to the other questions, but it, I don't have it in front of me. But if we looked at the King James mm -hmm. version and it lists the fruits of the spirit, are they exact same words? No, not at all. Not that's that's the point. That are different. But okay. the point is the ESV has tried to take the concept that the King James used this word for and translate right. the word that is that today. Okay. Th thank you very much. Yep. Good question. Very good. Jim, did you have something? Yeah, sometimes I get the 
little confused about prayer. Um, I uh, everyone does. <laughs> uh, you know, because I, you know, it, in the Lord's Prayer, obviously, I, I, you know, like when when you're when someone's ill, and you pray for their recovery. Yep. Um, you know, God knows what's going to happen. Yes, I mean, yeah. uh, what what like you know what is what is I guess what is the true meaning of that when you do that? Because I I just think most of the time. It's, it's going to be God's will, no matter what the situation is. So why not pray the pray the Lord's prayer? Uh, well, Bob, you know me well enough to know that's what I would say. Is don't start making up prayers. Jesus taught us how to pray. Just say that one. Right. So I agree with you there. Um, and I would and I would agree with you, except for I would say not most of the time. God always knows what's going to happen, and it's always His will what happens. Um, he's not looking for our input. He's not saying I'm trying to decide whether or not to heal this person what do you think? You know, and then you say, well, I think you ought to heal him. He goes, oh, cool. Let's do that. That's not what prayer is. Um, it, the, the way I like to say it the best, the, the thing that makes sense in my mind the most from reading the New Testament and stuff is that prayer is really two things. One, it's trusting that God has actually invited us to pray to him. He's yeah. actually asked us to do this. Please pray to me. Whatever's on your mind, talk to me like you would a loving father right? Talk to me that way. And so mm -hmm. we do out of faith. We say, okay, you've asked me to tell you what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. This person's sick. I think mm -hmm. you ought to heal them, right? Okay. He invites you to say that. You're allowed to say it. I think, I think the Cardinals should win every game this year. He's like, yeah. okay, I'm glad to think that. Thanks for, thanks for telling me, you know, but, but it's also is acknowledging that you're going to him in prayer because he's the one who's actually in charge of all this. It's a confession of who is the one who's actually running the show. Yeah. See, I don't pray to a God who's, who's totally impotent. Why would I pray? Doesn't do me any good. Why would you pray to a God that doesn't exist? It doesn't do any good, but I'm praying to God because I believe he's the almighty. I believe he's the one that has control over these things. I believe that he's the one that is actually taking care of my daily bread. He's the one that's taking care of my sick friend in the hospital, right? He's the one that's doing that. So when I have a concern about that situation, who do I go to? I go to the God who is actually able to, to deal with such things. So part of it is faith in his, in his invitation to pray. And also it's, it's also acknowledging that he is the proper one to bring your concerns to. Okay. And then it's also saying, and I believe that you're going to graciously handle this situation because of Jesus Christ. You're going to do what's best just as, as you provided your own son. So you're going to do what's best for the situation. And then what we do is whatever the situation turns out to be, we rejoice. We give thanks to God. Even if we don't understand it, even if we don't agree with his decision, we still give right. thanks to God and we say, great. And I, and I know, like, I know in your life, you've experienced this where something happens that, that's kind of beyond our comprehension. It looks like it's a miracle. What do we do? We say, thanks. Right. This is great. <laughs> this is better than what I was thinking, right? Wow. Yeah. Great. Thanks. And again, what do we do? We go to the, the right place to say, not this is chance or I have no idea what happened. No, we go to the right person and say, you're the God that's in charge. And so I thank you for being gracious. I thank you for inviting me to pray. And listening to my prayers, I thank you. I rejoice that that you were 
merciful to this situation. Thank you for that. And may it be something that, that continues to encourage me and others to continue to look to you for the, as the God who saves, as a God who protects, as a God who heals, right? So, so that's what I would say prayer is. It's, it's not my opportunity to give God a job description, as I always say. It's not my job to inform God of what's going on in the world because he hadn't paid any attention. You know, it's, it, it really is a confession that he's invited me to pray and he's the proper source to go to who can take care of these things. He's the one that's in charge. Does that help, Jim? Right, yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm. Yep, good. Yeah. All right. Oh, one quick question. Okay. I'm not related to this, and I could actually do it myself, but I'm too lazy. Uh, if I go to lcms.org, will that, that uh, the, the, uh, in our bulletin last Sunday, President Harrison wrote that article, and in the back, is that in there any place, do you know? Yeah, Peter, do you know what the best way to get that is? I haven't looked lately. Um, if you go to reporter.lcms.org, there will be pretty prominently somewhere there Harrison's statement on the Equality Act. Yeah, yeah. if you go to it, that's a good that's a good point. If you go to reporter.lcms.org and just go for, for in the search bar and type in Equality Act, if you don't see it, it'll come right up. And okay. if you scroll down a bit, it, it's yeah, still it, recent uh, enough that it hasn't been buried, I don't think. Yeah, just look for All Equality right. Act on lcms.org. You'll find it. All right, thanks. And if you can't find it, email me or Peter. Email me. I can send it to you. All right, thanks. I have it. All right. Not all. Night. Mike, do you have a question? I just asked you to uh, keep me in your thoughts and prayers because right now I'm working on curriculum for my fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class. Wow. For, no, no, no. For May, the month of May, I get to try to get through to fourth and fifth graders what the Holy Spirit is. <laughs> Pray for me. I will. That you know, is and, and, and as you were saying before there, we, we've actually, something we instituted about two months ago, I did. Uh, we had a section of wall that looked very lonely. And so we made it into our prayer wall and we hang little tags about two by three and a half inches. And the kids are encouraged to write down Mm -hmm. Things they want to lift up before God, and then we hang. I'll send you. I'll send you a, a picture of it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, and uh, it's a very Lutheran thing where you're saying we do not pray through this wall, and we're not demanding of God. These are the things that are on your heart, mm -hmm. and we're lifting them up to God as an offering. God, this is what's on my mind right now. That's how we're addressing prayer with these. Uh, yeah. 10, 11 right. year olds teach them the right place to go when there's something on their hearts teach and amazingly the at the same go. time uh tragically but amazingly a little girl uh in our first grade in our sunday school uh she's contracted a uh cancerous brain tumor mm. uh, in the middle of her brain and that's given us a focal point too you know we ask god do what you can do what you will and that's mm -hmm. tough for them to understand and we also, we are praying for the abilities of the doctors and nurses mm -hmm. and, uh, and that it's given us a really great um, jump off point for teaching these kids about applied prayer, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, it's working out well. I will send you a picture. Yeah, I do. That's, that's really it, neat. And I'm glad it, to hear you're doing that. Now, one thing I, would, I will give you real briefly on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And if you listen to my, my Sunday school class or Sunday morning Bible study for the last couple of weeks. Um, Remember, the Holy Spirit is always equated with the word. Uh-huh. 
Okay. If you want to talk about the Holy Spirit, you got to talk about the word. You don't talk about the Holy Spirit separate from the word. That's the key move that most people mess up is that they talk about the Holy Spirit departed, detached from the word of God, but you don't want to do that. You want to talk about the Holy Spirit attached to the word. And whenever you talk about the word, you're talking first of all about Jesus. And then second of all about the Holy scriptures. Okay. So you always want to talk about the Holy Spirit attached to the word. Okay. He's pointing us to Christ and he does that through the word. Okay. Okay. And that word is also active in the sacraments, of course, but the Holy Spirit points us to Christ through the word and sacraments, right? Attached to the word. If, if they get that, they're better than most, most Christians in the world right there. That's, that's good stuff. Good evening, that's gentlemen. Good. All right. Thanks. We'll pray for you. Hey, Brian. We can probably end YouTube now. Oh, yes. <laughs> Although that was good.